verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, yet also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I've titled this simply, The Desire for Growth. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to meet together tonight. Uh, thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for your love for us and your grace and your mercies, which are new every morning. We thank you that we can know the truth through your precious word. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, that we'd open our ears, our minds, and our hearts, that we might receive thy word, which in gratitude can save our souls. The Father can not only save our souls, but can transform our lives into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, just speak to our hearts and encourage us. Challenge us, bring conviction where conviction is needed. And, Lord, we pray if there be any in our midst tonight who never tasted the Lord is gracious and received the word of God that gives life eternal. I pray tonight the Spirit of God will work in their hearts, we pray, and bring them to the Lord through salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the word wherefore, but this, this chapter starts with the word wherefore, and it is a connecting or conjunction word. And it kind of refers us back to the idea, well, seeing what you just read, or seeing what you just heard, or hearing what you just heard, something should happen. Wherefore, you know, we could say, wherefore, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, we all lay aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking. See, the Bible, or the word of God is referred to as seed, or incorruptible seed, and when a seed is planted, or a seed is conceived, things begin to change. You plant a seed in the ground, and that seed will shoot forth new life. New life. From the minute of conception to adulthood, children change. They desire to change. They want to grow up. Meaning, they want to mature. At least some of them do. And you know, that is natural. When I was 12, I couldn't wait till I was 16. When I was 16, I couldn't wait till I was 21. Not that I wanted to drink or anything. Never cared for that stuff to start with, but or smoke or whatever. I didn't want to do all that, any of that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to, you know, grow up and have the privileges that adults do. When I got to 25, I thought, you know, it was kind of nice being 12. 
Uh, but, you know, we want to grow up. That's natural. See, growth is natural. It, and it's natural for a person who has received the seed of the word of God to change. In fact, if there's no change, something's not right. Something's not right. You know, this is really what Romans, well, if you go back to here in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, well, let's look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So not living by the natural desires of your own flesh, but as he which has called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So now that you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to desire to be holy because your father is holy. You know, the natural desire for a child or for a boy is to be like his dad. I don't know how many times I've heard. I remember I was working for uh, the Yoder family, and, and we went out to fix, repair some fence behind uh, this house out along the road that belonged to somebody else, and it was, it, was, it was bored up to their pasture down along the creek. And we were out there fixing the fence, uh, Willard Yoder and I, and, and uh, one of the, the last name of the family was Smoker, and I knew the boy. Harry Smoker was his name. He was a few years older than me, and he had this little boy about this big. He was three or four. And he came out there and talked to us, you know, and he was just chatting along. And, and uh, Willard said to him, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Just like my dad. And he said to me, isn't that the typical answer of a little boy? They always want to be like their dad. You know, it should be a natural desire for us as Christians to want to be like our father. Our Heavenly Father. Romans 8. <clears throat> Romans 8. 28 and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to, called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, again, you know, he's the firstborn among many brethren that are just like him. That, that their lives conform to the image of Christ. It should be a natural desire for us to want to grow to be like Christ. And if we're going to do that, there are some things that we ought not, that we ought to desire to get rid of. The things of the flesh. You know, Ephesians talks about this. In Ephesians 4, it talks about putting off the old man, putting on the new. That's how it refers to it. It's like putting off, putting off an old dirty coat and putting on a clean one. You know, a, a shirt that's spoiled. My wife was talking to me about that today. I have a shirt that, that I, I got stained with, uh, with uh, oil when I was changing the oil in the Suburban, you know, and it was hot, came out and splattered on, and I said, no, nah, it's rags. She said, why is it still in your drawer, and why are you still wearing it? I need to get rid of it, you know. Uh, I need to put off, put off that and put on something clean. That's the idea. And he says, he gives us several things here, five things exact, for, for example, that we ought to desire to put off. So he says, wherefore, laying aside, the idea of, is it casting it off like you would put off a coat. Casting off malice. Now malice, the word malice means a bad disposition or, or ill will or a desire to injure. 
ill will with a desire to injure. You know, Saul had malice toward David for no reason. David had never wronged Saul. But Saul had malice toward him. He wanted him injured. He wanted him killed. He had malice. Saul of Tarsus had malice toward Christians. And they, again, they had never done anything to him. Never, never harmed him in any way. It was just his hatred for Christ that he took out against them. And, you know, the world has malice against God. They hate God. The world lies comfortably in the lap of the devil, 1 John 5 tells us that, and they hate God. And, of course, that, and they hate Christ, and we are the targets of that malice. In 1651 in September, Obadiah Holmes was beaten almost to death in Boston Square. And the intention was, out of malice, not just to beat him, but the intention was to kill him. Though he survived it. So, but we as God's people are to put away or lay aside malice. We ought not to have ill will toward anyone. We need to be like Christ, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen, who, who, who said the same words when he was dying, uh, we ought not to have no, any ill will or malice. Right? The second thing he says, we need to put away or can't lay aside all guile. Uh, the word guile means to be deceitful or not forthright. You know, Ammon... <clears throat> Ammon was not was deceitful. Amnon, not Ammon. Amnon, you know, the son of David, who asked his father if he could have uh, his sister Tamar come make some food. He, he asked that in deceit. Absalom was, was a man of guile, deceiving the, and, 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 uh, uh, the hearts of the children of Israel and, and winning them over to his sides. The Pharisees were deceitful. They were full of guile. They were not forthright in their actions. But of course, in, in here in chapter 2 and verse 22, speaking of Jesus, it says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Second uh, Chronicles 19, 19.7 Second Chronicles 19.7 The Bible says this, the prophet speaking to Jehoshaphat says, Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you, take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. In other words, he, the Lord's not going to be bribed. There's no, there's no guile in him. No deceit. Third thing he says here that we ought to desire to put off or lay aside is hypocrisies. He says laying aside all, all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies. The word hypocrisies uh, means to feign or put on disguise or put on a false front. You know, Paul, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, talked about the unfeigned faith was it that was in his grandmother Eunice or uh, Lois and in his mother Eunice. It wasn't fake. It was real. It was genuine. 
And we're to put off all hypocrisies, not put on a false front, not a, fa- a false front. Uh, you know, I, I've known women that have, have, have a false front. They appear submissive and passive wise, but are masters of manipulation at home. You know, Jesus was completely open before the Pharisees. There was nothing hid. The fourth thing he says we need to lay aside is envies, all envies. Envy is simply a yearning for what others have. It's covetousness. It's covetousness. Look at, look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20. In the giving of the Ten Commandments. Verse 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his... Man, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So you're not to covet anything that is someone else's. That is your neighbor. And, and Colossians tells us that covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry to covet. For to desire what, what is someone else's. It's, 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 it's uh, idolatry. So we're to lay aside all these, all envy. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, people are envious because one person may be talented in an area and another is not. You know, Peter had a little struggle with some of these things. You know, Peter was, we might call him impetuous Peter. But Peter, you remember when Jesus said to Peter, and asked him three times, Lord, lovest thou me? And, and he said, Yea, Lord, I know, thou knowest I love thee. And, and he said, You know, feed my sheep. And, and then, he, then he told Peter how he was going to die. And Peter turns around and looked at John and says, You know, I'm paraphrasing. Well, what about him? What about him? And Jesus says, If he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Peter, you need to be Peter and worry about Peter, and you let John worry about John. That's none of your business. You, know, you ever feel sorry for yourself, and sometimes you feel like, why do I have it so hard in life some other people don't seem to? No, maybe it's just only me that ever feels that way. Why do I have it so hard? No, we need to... We need to accept what God has given to us and learn and grow from the experiences we have. You know, I used to envy, when I was growing up, envy what other families that I knew and friends had that I didn't have as a child. But now that I look back on it and the difficulties that I had with, you know, with, with problems in the home, and I, now that I look back on it, I thank God for it because it's helped me. One of the things it's helped me with is don't worry about what everybody else says. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. God loves me no matter what.
And so we need to put off all envy, yearning for what others have. And then the fifth thing it says we ought to desire to put away, or put, lay aside, is all evil speakings. All evil speakings. Backbiting or talking about others and behind their back. Uh, these kind of things. You know, we, we ought to uh, put away these kinds of things. Back. You know, a slander or a talebearer separated chief friends. And we need to be careful what we say um, and not be uh, evil speaking. So there ought to be a desire for a holy life. Put away these things. Secondly, there ought to be a desire for the word of God. Notice verses 2 and 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So not only should there be a desire for a holy life to lay aside all those things that's, that are not pleasing to the Lord, but we ought to have a desire for the word of God. So that we might grow. This is how we grow. This is how we lay aside those things that are displeasing to the Lord. This is how we learn what to lay aside. There ought to be a sincere desire for the milk of the word, for the, for the word of God. You know, the Bible talks about the word of God, at least uh, five different things it mentions about it, or compares it to, or illustrates it as, as things we would take into our body. Now, there are a lot of other things, too. It talks about it's like a fire, it's like a hammer, but those aren't things I'm going to take into my body. Uh, but there is some things that it, that it, it illust- uses to illustrate the Word of God. We find one of them here, milk, of course, water, bread, meat, and honey. All those things are desirable and needful. And he says here, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. You know, as natural as it is for the sun to come up, a baby desires milk. So in like manner, if we are saved, if we've tasted the Lord is gracious, if we received his word through salvation, if we received that, the seed of the word of God into our life, and, and, and been born again, we ought to desire the word of God. There ought to be desire for it. Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, Hebrews 5 talks about the, the milk of the world also. But Hebrews 5, 12 to 13, it says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, and you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So, so again, it's, it's referred to the word of God here as milk, but that's, that's baby food. And we ought to not live on the milk all our lives. I don't know any of you teenagers that would desire just milk. I mean, you might like it, but you want more than that. I mean, Nathan wants some burgers every once in a while. Some meat to go with that milk, you know. Uh, but there ought to be desire for the word of God. The Bible compa- compares the word of God to water. 
uh, it, you know, several places, John 14, or John 4, 13 and 14, uh, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, water is necessary for the life of the body. In fact, uh, according to the internet, or Google, the adult man's body is 60% water. And a child's body is between 70 and 75% water. You can't live without water very long. It is necessary for the body. And even so, the water of the word is necessary for us to live the Christian life. It ought to be desired. I don't know about you, but I desire water. I don't go very long. I want some water to drink. Probably a gallon a day at least I go through. You know, I drink a lot of water starting in the morning. My, my family doesn't like to travel with me because I have to stop pretty soon. Because uh, I drink a lot of water right away in the morning. That's how I started out the day. Um, Ephesians 5.25 says, By the washing of the water, by the word. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, Revelation 22:17 says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and he that heareth, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The water of life. So there ought to be a desire for the water of the word. The, waters, uh, the word of God is also uh, spoken of as bread. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your bread was considered a staple, a necessary food. In verse 58, again, he, he says that, that uh, uh, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. And again, he's referring to the word. Receiving the incorruptible seed. It is life-sustaining. The, the, the Word of God is referred to as meat. Again, Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14, talks about strong meat belongs to him that is of full age. So it, it's meat. Again, something that will sustain. You know, water, water doesn't... Sort of like... You know, we have this thing at our house. If you have soup... Now, I like soup. But we always, always have this saying... Well, the soup just doesn't stick to the bones. In other words, you know, we have this kind of idea, we men folk in our house, that it doesn't last very long if you're working hard. You know, you've got to have something a little more substantial than that. That's meat, you know. Um, but the Word of God is also referred to as honey. Now, honey is a sweetener. It's a sweetener. In Ezekiel chapter 3, in uh, verse 1, Ezekiel 3.1, <clears throat> it says, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, eat, thou that, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So open my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, Cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. 
Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. As honey for sweetness. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 10. John had a similar experience in his, uh, when he saw the revelation of Christ, and there was an angel with a book. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 8, it says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And it went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. He said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. It was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Now, I don't pretend to understand everything in the Bible. And I'm not sure exactly why it says he was sweet in my mouth and bitter in my belly. But this I do know. There's a lot of the word of God that's very sweet. But the judgments... When Jeremiah was giving the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel, and it was 70 years captivity, 70 years in Babylon, 70 years of servitude. That was difficult. It was right, but it was difficult. When I look at our, our nation, and I know what the word of God says. And I know God's a holy God. It grieves me. Because I know God's judging America. See, that's bitter. That doesn't make me feel all fuzzy and warm all over. But when I read about the New Jerusalem... And that God's gone to prepare, a mansion, prepare a, a mansion for me that is sweet as honey. When I read about it, that I can have, that I have assurance eternal life, that's sweet as honey. When I read that, that a sinner can come to know Christ, that's sweet as honey. You see. And so there ought to be a desire for the word of God. See, the word of God not only gives us life, but it's what transforms our life. It's what changes our life and conforms us into the image of Christ. And without it, there will be no transformation. Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How are you going to learn what sin is and what sin is not? How are you going to learn what pleases God and what pleases him not? Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline mine heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. In other words, you incline your heart to his testimonies and you won't incline your heart to covetousness. Psalm 119, verse 45. This is one, a good one for today. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. 
Psalm 119, verse 59. I thought on my ways. Hmm. I thought on my ways. Have you ever paused and considered where your thoughts and your actions are leading you, young people? Adults? Psalmist said, I thought on my ways. Moms, dads? Have you really thought about, thought through where you're heading by the plans and choices you're making? See, he said, I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. See, the problem with most people is they don't think about where they're going. They don't pause and think but, and really analyze the direction they're headed in life. The world just plunges on. They give no thought or consideration what tomorrow is going to bring as the result of their choices. Why? Because they just live for today. And too often, we just live for today. We don't think about where our choices are leading us. But there are consequences to our choices. For good or for bad. Depending on what those choices are. So he says, I thought on my ways. See, again, the word of God examines our ways. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says, this is why the word of God is so important. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's a living book. That's why you get something new out of it every day. I mean, you could read the same chapter every day and get something new out of it. You know, I have, I've heard people say, well, you know, I got this out of your message, and I'm thinking, I didn't even preach that. But see, it, it joggles something in their mind, in their thought process, that applied to what was going on in their life. That's the Spirit of God working. And the Word of God, because it's a living book. See, the Word of God is quick, and it's alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, when you're getting down into the joints and the marrow, you know the marrow is the stuff that's inside your bones. So the word of God is going to really get into you. It's really going to get under your skin. You know, if you obey it, it'll be wonderful. If you don't. And so Peter's telling us, look, if we're saved, there ought to be a desire for the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 5, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives me direction for life. Shows me what's right. Psalm 119, verse 30, the entrance, the entrance. How's the word enter your life? The entrance of thy word 
words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. You say, well, I just don't understand all these things about life. And how can I? The entrance of thy words giveth light. You know, the Bible tells us what the fruit of drinking is. And all you have to do is go to some bar some night and see the reality of that. Or meet somebody who had an alcoholic father or an alcoholic mother and see the reality. You don't have to experience it to find out. That word is truth. It gives understanding on the simple. You know, the, the word simple means those that are ignorant or don't know. Again, you don't have to experience it to understand. You just have to believe it. You know, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7 gives a very graphic picture of what happens to those that involve themselves in immorality. It says it's the way her gates are the way to hell. Go to Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10. You know, the, yeah, I'm just giving you some practical things that the world says, well, you know, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's wrong. Oof. I was talking to a grandmother here not too long ago. She's concerned about a grandson she has. He's 16, 17. Is questioning, what's wrong with drinking? Why can't I drink? His parents are telling him he can't. He shouldn't drink. He shouldn't smoke. But he, you know, he's kind of like a lot of young people. He wants to experiment with. Because, you know, a lot of the young kids his age are. And, you know, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know what the problem is? You know what part of the problem is? His parents go to a church where he's never going to hear anything about it. In fact, I knew a guy that goes to church, works in the sound booth, and he drinks. Goes to the same church. So, uh, you know, next time I see her, I'm going to take that outline Pastor Webb gave on a sober, sober interpretation of alcohol in the Bible. <laughs> you know, say if you go to a good church, you'd hear what's wrong with those kind of things. Psalm 19, verse 7. For the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Notice, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. See, the word of God is sweet like honeycomb. If you keep it, 
if you keep it. It may become bitter if you don't. In fact, Paul said, and he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, to one, we're the savor of life. To another, we are the savor of death. Of course, to those who receive the message of the gospel, to receive the word of God, it's life. It's health. It's, it's sweet as a honeycomb. To those who reject it, it is death. It's bitter. So, there ought to be a desire for growth in life, a desire for a holy life, and a desire for the word of God. He says in verse 3, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone. You know, Here Christ is referred to or pictured as a stone. And notice what it says, disallowed indeed of men, disallowed indeed of men. Uh, that word disallowed means he was, he's rejected of men, rejected of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted of God by Jesus Christ. You see, there ought to be a desire to be a living stone. Now, we're compared to stones. Now, when you think about a stone, you know, you know, there's, a, there's a whole lot of life in a stone. But these are special stones. These are lively stones. You remember when the, uh, on Palm Sunday, when, when they all threw their garments down, and, you know, and Jesus walked in their garments, and they... They, they, they hauled palm branches and held uh, king of the Jews and so on and so forth. And, and the Pharisees were upset about that. And they said, uh, he told, they told Jesus to tell these to stop. They said, hail, king of the Jews. You know, and, all, and glory to God and, and hallelujah. And they were, they were praising the Lord. And he said, tell these to stop. He said, if these stop, the stones will cry out. But God hasn't chosen to use stones but we were really like a dead stone you know stones of no use I hate stones I mean I've picked stones since I was five years old I think we had the stoniest farm in Stone Valley there were some places we couldn't see topsoil was so bad Little flat limestones. And we'd put them on a wagon and we'd fill a 16, an 8 foot wide, 16 foot wagon piled up with stones. And we, so we'd put them all on there by hand and then we'd go and load them by hand. You know what? We were worthless. We're worthless stones. But God gave us life. God planted life in us through, through salvation, through the new birth. And now he says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God 
by Jesus Christ. So you and I have direct course, direct access to God, and we can give spiritual sacrifices. You know, he compares us to a house. Building a building, you might say. God wants to build your life into a house, like a house that brings honor and glory to him. That people would look at. You know, all of us, you know, like to have a nice house. You know, maybe you ever drive by a house and say, man, isn't that a, that's a really nice house. And you might, you know, go to somebody's place and sell, tell them, well, you have a really nice house. And you're praising them for their house. God desires that men would praise him for his house. That we should be allowing him to build in us. He desires that men would praise him for his house. You know, Paul tells us in Timothy that, that we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God, referring to the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And, of course, we, we build up that spiritual house, again, by desiring the word of God. See, it all centers around the word. Without the word. Heck, go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> of course, this stone was, you know, the Lord was disallowed indeed of men. Uh, first Corinthians, well, let's just go to chapter two first. It says in, in uh, verse six, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor are the princes of this world. That come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So that's the stone that was disallowed, but chosen of God. But then if you drop over to chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So he's, Paul's telling the church at Corinth, you are God's building that he's building. You know, we are God's building. Lighthouse Baptist Church is God's. Not the blocks and the bricks and the paneling and the ceiling towel and the carpets and the pews. No, you. You and I are God's building. That he's building. According to the grace of God, verse 10, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, other buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, 
and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? You see, we are lively stones, chosen, chosen of God that bring spiritual sacrifices. You know, the, the sacrifices that were offered in the temple were a pleasing odor to the Lord. When we obey the Lord and follow his commandments, take heed to his word, we are a pleasing sacrifice for the Lord. See, to do that, you have to lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speaking, and desire the milk of the word, the meat of the word, the bread of the word, the honey. See, is God pleasing with your growth? You know, I, I read this morning in Psalm where it says, open thy mouth wide and he will fill it. So open your mouth wide. And take all of it in you can. Because the more you take into your heart, the more he's going to fill your life and transform it to the image of Christ. And the more spiritual sacrifices you will offer up that please and honor him. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. See? We take little in, there's little reward. If we take much in, there's much reward. It's up to us. We have to choose to accept it, to receive it, or not to. You Have you received it? Is there a desire in your life for growth in the Lord? Have you tasted of his word? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And then are you growing as it would please him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the simplicity of your word and the truths that it gives us. Father, I pray you help us as your people. Help me as a pastor that you made me overseer of this flock to feed them by the pure word of God that we might grow thereby. Help us to be faithful. Lord, I do pray if there's any tonight who had never truly been born again, that the Spirit of God work in their hearts and examine themselves before you tonight. Allow you to have your will and your way. We pray in Jesus' name.